Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, John. Oh my gosh. Oh. I am so excited. You know, this, this show is, oh, I, I'm going to have to calm myself down a little bit. I've got duct tape here, by the way. Yeah. Put your seatbelt on, young man. And duct tape <laughs> over my mouth because I've got to just shut up. There's yeah. so much I want to say about what we're talking about, but we don't have time. So. So we just got to get to the meat of the matter. That's all we got to do. That's it. That's Let, it. Let's get so, on with it. Yeah. So, you know, uh, geez, do we have clothes? Yes, we do. And some of them we wear, I do believe. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. just, I'll start out and let you know that I am wearing the rat shirt only because I'm embracing animals as we kind of wind down on the, the lizard. I just got to continue wearing animal t-shirts. I can't help it. And I got a good story to this. We got a good one. So let's go for it. What yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm wearing the ox. Ox. Oh, you're, 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 the you're ox. thinking the same way. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm getting a little misty-eyed thinking about not being able to do lizard stories anymore. And, you know, our sponsor yeah. is the Horned Lizard Canyon uh, Conservation Society, and they sell a T-shirt. They're a no-baloney kind of nonprofit. If you want to help save a cute little critter, that's the place to go buy a T-shirt. you got to wear clothes. Yep, you got to wear clothes, and, and a T-shirt can make your day, and this one will definitely do it. Hey, boy, oh, boy. Do we have a lizard story? It's incredible. So what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about the Geico Gecko. Now, you know, just the fact that you got to kind of think a little bit before you put those two words together because they're reasonably close as to the pronunciation is part of the story upon which this incredibly uh, iconic mascot uh, – uh, advertising icon has uh, has become you know a way of life to us. Uh, and what I like to do is start out at the very beginning with the fact that in the mid 30s, this insurance company decided that in order to become successful, they had to define a market niche. Their market niche mm. is important with respect to the name. Yeah. This because Geico stands for government employees. Insurance company. Wow. So without getting that niche, we have no lizard. That's it. That's right. That's right. So that's where it starts. But, yeah, you know, the lizard itself, they go through a relatively successful organization company that meets the test of time, but feels the need to get a oomph So they hire a, a, a new ad agency, Mark Martin Agency. Martin. Martin to do their ads. And before you know it, what we've got is we've got a situation where uh, uh, another perfect storm takes place. Oh. All of a sudden, they're doodling around the ad agency around a table, and they start saying Geico, 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 and they say, and they realize that they're frustrated. They say, "I think people think that our insurance company we insure lizards or what?" So they're oh. really getting frustrated, and yeah. so they said, "Well, look, let's have a lizard." As the, uh, as the theme and have a, you know, a lizard as, as part of the, the ad. Now, the marketing people, the head of the marketing people said, stupid idea. Oh. Um, couldn't oh. stand the idea. But then wow. something happened which propelled it. What? An actor's strike. strike. Oh, so a wow. strike makes it so that they can't use actors to do the ads. No, so can't. what they do is they're kind of forced into using this animal, 
And yeah. before you know it, we've got the uh, the uh, Geico Gecko. And, and who did the, who did the first voice, John? The first voice was done by uh, old Kelsey Grammer. Uh, yeah, I actually went back, and it's amazing. They have in one of the the articles that we got uh, listed. They have the first ad, and if you listen to it, it almost sounds like a, a voice trained actor does it. And yeah. it's got a low voice. It's you know it resonates. It pronounces everything yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah. But what they realized as they progressed with this, and this is starting in 1999, is they wanted to. The the the, the lizard has a life of its own, and they needed to humanize it. So they they did the English accent to start out with to make it distinctive. They wanted yeah. something that would catch your attention so that you wouldn't be, you know, going to the bathroom. You'd hold it and watch the lizard, you know. Right, 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 right. So that's – but then they realized that they needed to humanize it. So there's been uh, – there's a guy, I can't remember his name, who's been doing it for quite some time. They, they, Jake, a little uh, bit. Jake somebody. Jake, Jake somebody. Wood. That's it. Yeah, so uh, that that's a big, big part of what, what has happened with this. But this lizard has actually taken on, uh, like I said, a life of its own. It's been interviewed before, so it, it really gravitates. And I think what makes it funny is that the part that they really pitch the insurance is very small in it. And you see more of this lizard <laughs> making observations, cracking jokes. Acting human, making you know, making errors, stumble, bumbling around, and they they started the whole thing on. They said, well, you know, let's just get it out in the open. People have trouble, you know, understanding gecko, geico. So the lizard makes a public appeal. It's a book. I am a gecko. I am not a geico. <laughs> ooh, ooh, yeah. So, well, you know, people yeah. are sensitive about their names. Yeah, and Martin. Martin. Uh, well, shoot, I almost blew it there. I almost said something I shouldn't have. Well, the fact is that so the pronunciation is part of what that got it. But I mean, it does some cute stuff. The guy, the little lizard, goes on the beach, and he he takes a look, and you have to have certain attire on in order to be there. You can't go. It's, you know, he, he's 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 perfect yeah. for any beach, whether it be a nude beach or just a yeah. regular beach. Yeah, he is. He's, and he's, he doesn't wear clothes. And when he get, when he gets interviewed, for example, he makes a point about the fact. Well, I don't have any pants. Well, why don't you have any pants? They don't make them my size. That don't make sense. <laughs> you know, so, this guy's so, done 150 commercials. This is crazy. Yeah, 150. Now, now, what I want to do is call on our our animal man expert. Oh, is this a me. Geico? Is is it one specific? Species, or have they kind of maybe homogenized or mixed a couple together pets to come up with this character or not? This will be the third. This will be the third story we've done where the lizard is named, but the lizard named is not the lizard shown. Mm-hmm. This will be the third one, third segment we've done this way over the last six months, and I will just say. That animal is a mixture of several species of gecko, and it's got just a touch of salamander in him. Okay. Okay. Is that what you Sounds wanted? Is that yeah, it? yeah, that's what I want. I, I want the fact that yeah. we don't have a yeah. very – this isn't a pure gecko lizard. This no. is start actually with, like you said, something else, and it kind of moves on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the, the – uh, like you said, 150 commercials – this has been an incredible, incredible, um, you know, icon. Right. I mean, we, we think of probably yeah. right now, I would go first with uh, uh, Gecko Lizard, then I would go with the Affleck Doc, 
And those are probably yeah. two. And, and I, you got a feeling that they've kind of, kind of copied a little bit the, the lizard. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Now they name. You know, there's a book. I think we should say, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the book is kind of. Um, we could probably tell the story to our. The, the story is that. Uh, you know, you would think, well, if a person publishes a book, you would think that, well, they come up with an idea, then they have to pitch it to the publisher, and they've got themselves a book. That isn't the way right. this worked. What happened oh. was that a publishing company said, this lizard is so profound with the things he tells us in the ad, in addition to the insurance, these witticisms that he has he could be put into a book. In other words, Martin could be That's an author and put out a book. Yeah. So he's, where does that he's named after the agency. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I thought we had already made that clear. Very good. Oh. Very good. Yeah. The yeah. Martin is the name of the – and you very seldom hear this. I mean, we say the word Martin. You say, what? Yeah. yeah. That's his name. So. Yeah. And plus, his accent. A lot of people confused about the accent, John. Well, yeah. I mean, it's – right now, some people say, well, it's English. Some say it's Australian. I think – the voice experts uh, claim it is a portion of London has an accent comparable yeah. to his. So, Bardo or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the accent a lot. I think it's well done. Uh, and, you know, they they did it for a reason. Part of it was the English accent came as a way to cut through the noise. But then it was a posh in the English accent. And this is like a working man's kind of gecko. And, you know, this is for everyday people. So they made him, gave him a working class English accent. I think it's a good move. I think it's a hugely good move. And yeah. I, I applaud. I applaud the creatives over at the Martin Agency. They did a fantastic job on this. It's, well, yeah. Yeah. And, hey, back to the book for a second, though. They, this guy, this, this Martin guy, he, I've read some of these, uh, I guess, well, I can't say what they are because that's our word, isn't it? Well, it's sort of, sort of like observations of real life and making commentary. It's commentary on real life, I guess, would be one way of describing it. I guess, witty. They're yeah, really and there's some of those, but I think the book is, uh, th- that's a large part of it. But it kind of co- captures, he's, he's almost like a dear Abby in a way to some of it. You know, life's lessons. He is. And so, yeah. yeah, he covers a lot of territory, but it's a be- it was a best-selling book. It, was, it came out maybe about 10 years ago. Wow. wow. Uh, so uh, it's still out there. You can get it at Amazon. In fact, that actually leads us, segues us right into uh, our word. Because our word is aphorism, aphorism, A-P-H-O-R-I-S-M, aphorism. Yes, yes. And it's a terse statement embodying a general truth or astute observation. The best way we can give this in a sentence is to actually maybe give some examples. These are everyday examples, and you've heard them all. Here's a good a good example of one. Actions speak louder than words. That's an aphorism. Give him, that's an aphorism. Give him an inch, he'll, he'll take a mile. An aphorism. So they're all, you know, this book is, uh, so they call him in the, I'll give you the, the my source then, is mm-hmm. a description of the book says, uh, uh, the gecko. He is a philosopher, an aphorist, a humorist, an artist, a warm companion, and a natural storyteller. That's part of so, the press release of the book. He's so, also a musician. He's also a musician. He plays the guitar. You can left-handed, him, left-handed, left-handed, like Paul McCartney, Hendricks. all the way. 
Yeah, I was thinking Jimi Hendrix, but that's okay. I'll go either way. <laughs> I know. I, I, I took the low road. <laughs> I took the high road. Well, you know, whatever. Who's counting? Oh dear. Yeah, who's counting, right? Yeah, I, I like aphorisms. I think they're they're an incredible form of knowledge, and you know, it's the cornerstone of of. Uh, people say the progression of knowledge goes from aphorism to rules, principles, to yeah. stories. That that's the way Ooh. you really understand something. The Bible does this. The uh, Indian scriptures from India do the same thing. The Buddhist scriptures do the same thing. It You first state it in a terse, concentrated way. Then you uh, do the real-life ramifications. If this is true, therefore you do like this. And then here's stories about people who follow the aphorism and people who don't. You know, when it comes to uh, ethical behavior, it's the same thing, whether it be CPAs, lawyers, whatever. They start yeah. with principles, and they work their way all the way down to rulings, and then all of a sudden you've got examples, it would be yeah. like. Yeah, so, And uh, just one more I will give you, and that is, of course, my, my, my niche is baseball. So, Oh, really? Um, I've got a book really? in which it's got baseball as a road to God. It does oh. the same thing. It takes principles that we learn perhaps in religion, and what are uh, that we know, and then all of a sudden, rather than telling Bible stories, it tells real life baseball incidents that take place that illustrate the the principles. So I mean, hey, it's it's good stuff. That's all I gotta oh. say. If you oh. get, when you get baseball involved, I'm all for it. Well, uh, this this was a story and word. They go together, you know, like a handshake. These are. I was so excited about this stuff. The more I read about Martin, the more I liked him. Uh, you know, he's warm, he's cuddly, you know, and John, here's the bottom line, you know, when it cut this little aphorist, uh, lizard, who wouldn't want to have pa- pa- finger pads to climb up walls? Wouldn't that be the greatest thing ever? Yeah. What do you think? I just think I, you know, here I am, I've got, uh, I've got a, a Alexa, but I wouldn't mind having Martin too <laughs> as oh. a friend. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the furry convention's coming right up for lunch. So you'll be okay. You'll be okay. <laughs> hey, what do we call those animals? What are the, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. We, we got to get moving on because we got yeah, we, we, gotta gotta we got some fish to fry. A lot oh, of we got a two takes this week. Yeah, and this is a little bit in your sweet spot, Mr. Producer. But I'll, I'll kind of give it a give it a start. Yeah. This up, we're calling the, the 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 right to repair. It's recently, big news has been the fact that Apple is finally uh, opening up their vault as it relates to repair manuals, uh, software, and parts so that the consumer can, at this point, in the future, this hasn't happened right now, is going to be able to repair. I think the best way of describing it is if your battery goes wrong in your iPhone, hey, you're in trouble. I mean, you just got to get a new phone. So as a result, what they're going to do is they're going to give the capability of actually doing replacement parts, this and whatever. So with that in mind, I'm, you know, Mr. Uh, I'm not Mr. Fix-It. I'm not that guy. No, okay? no, you're not. But no. I do have repair parts in my blood because our family business, when we grew up, was City Refrigeration Company, formed in 1936. The company was involved in repairing appliance and we sold parts in this in our company, and we also did service. So yep. when we were kids, all we thought about was repair parts, repair parts, repair parts. That's I right. mean, it was That's like right. this was just this is we learned those mm-hmm. words very early, and uh, we, you know, so we also 
were so enthralled with it and impressed with what our father oh. had done that yeah. he went out and bought us a and Mr. Producer, you have to help me, Mr. Family Man. Exactly yeah. what was it? 1930, 31? 31. 31. It was a 1931 Chevrolet. Chevrolet. And this car actually worked. He bought it for like 20 bucks, 25, 30 bucks. Yep. And then he said, we got in the car and we rode. <laughs> no, no, wait. Here's how it goes. It goes, we were in class and then it comes over the speakers. John and Jerry Daniels, don't take the bus. Your father's going to pick you up. <laughs> that's how it went and he drove up in this car and it was sputtering and what have you and it worked fine though and the look on his face when we got in that car he was he was more excited about this car than oh, we were yeah. if that's possible that a vicarious thrill for him oh yeah so Bob took us home. What, yeah and i think i don't know if he was disappointed but he put the car out in the in the in the great you know in the farm in a, in a, a spot, yeah. not he didn't stick it like right by the house because it was a no. it was a little on the junky side. Yeah. So what we did is we felt a need to be able to be the official parts supplier for a mm-hmm. 1931 Chevrolet. So what yes, we, we we yes, we were. <laughs> we just we were. We took it apart. We yeah. took it apart. We created parts bins by ice trays. And before you know it, so I don't want to get in a lot of details, but just to let you know that the other thing I want to say is that when I was in you know school, a big a big uh, uh, book was Vance Packard's uh, Hidden Persuaders. I didn't gravitate yeah. to that. I graded, gravitated to a much less popular book he wrote called The Wastemakers that dealt with Ooh. technical obsolescence. Yeah. So the idea of what Apple's doing is something that's not new. This was the, the automotive industry did this a long time ago. Where uh, and uh, and we learned in the even in our appliance industry that what happens is you know companies that make this product want to hold on to it dearly and don't want the, it, they want to be able to make people continue to change. I'll say one more thing and then I'll give it over to you and that is that when I take a look at this, a lot of people say, well, you're you're a finance guy, you understand uh, interstate commerce, you restrain a trade, antitrust laws, this and that. I think. The piece of this that makes it even bigger now is the green side of it, the waste, the consumerism. What, uh, what, what is happening to all these phones that are not being used when, when Apple says, get in line and get our latest, you know? So yeah. uh, it's, the, it's the environmental impact of, these, uh, of, what, uh, of the business practices of, of Apple that I think is what's made it a real, just really bad. So, kind of, yeah. why, don't you, yeah. why don't you give us some of the deets as it relates to Apple itself? Since you know, I'm just a parts guy. I'm not an Apple parts guy. No, you're not. But you know, you yeah. are in a way because you <laughs> you own Apple products, and Apple has tried over the last ten years to really address this thing. They have stopped making phones with any kind of harmful chemicals in them. Uh, they recycle all the aluminum in their phones and computers and tablets now. They didn't always. But they recycle everything. So when you get done with your Mac or your iPhone or your iPad, you give it back to Apple or sell it because resale value on these things is very good. You give it back to Apple, and they have a machine, and I've seen it work. It takes apart an iPhone, a tablet, or a Mac. It takes it apart, mechanically takes it apart. Robots take it apart, and they throw the different parts in different bins and all the aluminum stuff goes in a certain bin, 
and they melt that stuff down and they make a new iPhone or a new iPad or a tablet. And it's special aluminum that can be recycled like that. It's an alloy they created themselves. So they are very environmentally conscious, which makes it incredibly stupid that they had to be forced to do this. Yeah. Forced, forced they were by many, many regulatory bodies throughout the world, especially here in the United States. They were having like 20 or 30 states coming after them for this. And they've always been this way. And well, this is yeah, a, I mean, but this, this isn't is the their bad, first time they've made this mistake. No, you think they no. learned from the first time? What was that all about? Well, John, they've been doing this particular trick since Steve Jobs. And this is a bad trait of Steve Jobs. And not to speak yeah. Ill, Ill of the dead, but he had some peccadilloes. And this was one of them. We know better than you do. We're Apple and you're not. That's where all yeah. this comes from. And, that, and that's why it didn't get done earlier. But uh, they did this first with not parts in repair, but they did it first with the App Store. The App Store takes 30% of every developer's dollars that come through it, 30%. Now, at the time that this policy came out, it was a good price because some people would take half. You know, that's what, that's what it costs to get your product into the market. And the other thing that Apple offered to do with the App Store was to vet everything to make sure it didn't have any viruses, which viruses were a big deal at the time the App Store came out. So uh, they had cover for a while to do this. But then after a while, people like Netflix and, and Amazon, uh, you know, they went, can we sell so much product through you? 30% is a, a really terrible rate. So they... Finally, after a lot of pressure, including a big lawsuit with Epic, uh, Epic Video Games, they decided they didn't really decide. They didn't have any choice. They no, decided they to to make a two tier pricing thing. You can, you get fifteen percent as the fee you pay to Apple when you're uh, uh, you know a certain size developer, and then thirty percent otherwise. And they are going to modify this as time goes on even more. But the point is, they're forced to do it. They're forced to do this uh, repair kit thing now. Here's a real question, John, about this. How easy are they going to make it for consumers to actually repair? How clear are their manuals going to be? How accessible is this going to be to, to everyday people? Probably not terribly accessible. But independent repair shops are going to have a heyday with this, and it's going to be incredible. That's where it is. I, I mean, the fact is that uh, one of the things that, for example, I just know from personal experience that the battery on my car is impossible to get to. I can imagine they can they make your product in a way that's difficult to repair. This is something that they're going to have to be very transparent and do something to make make it because they've screwed up so much. The pre- pressure is on. Pressure is on, on to do that. But you're right that the independent repair. And now here's where, where it's going to get tricky. Now we know in the business, the part business that we've done, is yeah. that you then have you'll have well Apple genuine authorized parts, and then are we going to have the other are, are there going to be replacement parts that are generic? Is that going to be able to take place? Is where I, I'm uh, yeah. wondering. Yeah, yeah, they are. That, are they going to have a Jero uh, door gasket yes. for that? That's for all models of refrigerators. Are they going to have, you know, you know, they're going to have the replacement part that another company can make to make it competitive? I think the two biggest pieces that we're going to see, uh, you know, what are they called? Generic. Uh, parts for are the screen and the battery. That's exactly where I'm coming, and I know nothing. Those are the yeah. two that I thought of right away. Yeah, they're, they're yeah right you're ones. absolutely right. Yeah, I think that's and what they'll do. 
Now, bear in mind, the difference between refrigerators and, and phones is not really that great. So I think our experience with uh, appliances really does apply here. But bear in mind that these phones can change form factor and change design every year. So it's it, it's going to be hard for a generic yeah. uh, parts company to make a go of it unless they choose the most broken things, the things that need to be replaced the most. They have to have the volume to warrant the the ramp up for production. So yeah, so that means it starts with Apple making a battery that'll be that'll continue to be used. But of course, they can say, "Well, wait a minute, newsflash: we got a new battery." You know, uh, <laughs> or oh, wait a minute, we all of a sudden got a screen that doesn't break. Yeah, well, sure. see what's going to what's going to happen here is that they have to make a connector. That's the main thing. Uh, they hardwired a lot of stuff into the phones about five mm. years ago, and they got a lot of flack for it. And so now they're going to have to undo that a little bit. So I think in the future we will see, and we've already seen it now, the iPhones are getting slightly thicker. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. And that's been It'll a thing going on. It'll make it easier to repair them then. Yeah. Exactly. That you can have a connector for the battery rather than soldering the battery in place. So anyway. I, I will, I will say one. Yeah, I'll say one more thing, and that is that the uh, when you mentioned the fact that, well, they're recycling the parts. But how about the paranoid uh, guys, you know, like me who say, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to let my phone go because there's information on it. So therefore, I'm going to stash it away, hide it in my dresser drawer. Uh, and so all of a sudden, I don't have enough room in my dresser for clothes because it's got all my old Apple uh, phones. Uh, what about that guy? <laughs> there's a lot of I, I'm not the only one, am I? No, you're not, actually. Uh <laughs> Now, and, and by the Please way, make me feel way, better. I will right now. There's lots of reasons to be paranoid because, you know, then this gets down to the last point. Apple is taking a lot of heat for these two items, the App Store and the right to repair. However, those are their two biggest and one could argue almost only flaws as a tech company. They are very, very good about your personal information. They have made that part of their brand. So, whereas Google and Amazon and Twitter, they sell your information. They anonymize it, but they still sell it and everything you do. Uh, if you have Gmail, every single email you send is used by Google to gather information about you. Mm. Not you personally, mm. but you and sell well, it to advertisers. Like, oh, this sounds like, a, like an episode we did earlier, two takes earlier. <laughs> It is. You know. but the point. The point is that Apple doesn't do those things, and they're very upfront about it. Even their AI doesn't use a server, so that okay, you, your personal information. So you can send your phone to Apple, and if there's one company you can trust to do it right and not take your information, is and they even make it very easy for you to wipe your phone and wipe your iPad, wipe your Mac before you send it. Okay, well, uh, Mr. Producer, maybe uh, Sir. a couple. This, yeah, I will. Uh, I'll have to talk to you a little bit so I can maybe get more room in my dresser drawer for my T-shirts, my Fro Show T-shirts, uh, yeah. and uh, maybe take some of those phones that I have hidden at the bottom of them out and maybe take Let's care of it. getting them where they need to be. All right. Oh boy. How about a groaner? Here we go. Okay. So our groaners are provided to us by Vincent Anthony Lauder Jr., commonly referred to as the Coach. And the coach, I'm going to run with a oldies but goodie, and I'm also going to have a uh, one that is very timely. 
So here's our first one. What ethnic food do witches prefer? What ethnic food do witches prefer? I think this might Burritos. be pretty popular down in Texas, too, this, this Burritos. Um, no, it's actually Hex-Mex. Oh, that's very good, Hex-Mex. Oh, well, we're in the capital with Hex-Mex food right here. Awesome. Yeah, I figured it's a natural. I, so It is. Second one. Now, this second one needs a little setup because, you see, uh, our Cracker Jack research, research department realized that, actually, when it comes to holiday parties and we know they're just right in front of us. They're going to happen. Mm, mm. There's really three categories of people as it relates to holiday parties. One of them is the ones who embrace the holiday parties. Yes. There's the second group that hates the holiday parties. Ooh. And then there is a third group that we have identified with our Cracker Jack Research Department. Which and is? that is the ones who do not believe in Christmas oh. parties. So what is the question? Oh. What do you call a person? Who does not believe in holiday parties? John, you got me on this one. I do not know. Okay, just very carefully. I got to say this: eggnog stick. Oh, agnostic, agnostic. Oh, that's beautiful. Eggnog stick. Very good, John. I had to practice that one. Oh, I'm glad that's over with. That was that was tense. That's all I got to say. 